Good morning. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you all. And I am super excited for this passage this morning. Because not only is the story of Abraham and Isaac um, kind of interesting and kind of hard, but it also helps us to think about a paradox. Now, a paradox is something which, when you take these two things together, they don't really make sense. So our paradox this morning is God, who requires nothing, asks for everything. So how can it be that God, who needs nothing at all, would ask for everything from us? Almost doesn't make sense, right? But when we, if we think about it, God is a creator. God made the heavens and the earth. God knows us so intimately. He, Psalm 139 says that God knows the amount of hairs on our head, which is ridiculous. I don't have time to count the hairs on my head, but God knows. God knows everything. God needs nothing. <clears throat> Yet God asks for everything. And I think this is summed up really well in the, power, in the, in the Gospels when and the Pharisees, who were teachers of the law, come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what's, what's the greatest commandment? Thinking they can trick him, but Jesus says, well, love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbors yourself. He said, love God with everything you have. Give God your absolute all. God needs nothing. He asks for everything. And I know I've certainly come across this paradox in my own life. So before I came to uni, I lived in West Yorkshire and I was um, at a sort of normal high school and I was expecting some high grades for my A-levels and I was sort of been praying like non-stop about uni, like all the time. I was like, okay, God, I just really want to go to uni, I want to go to a good place, I want to get some fantastic teaching. And I felt like God had made me promises about the, the place I would be going and the fantastic teaching and academics that I would be able to get into. And results day came. Stressful as it is anyway. And I hadn't quite got the grades. And I was gutted. And at the same time, my parents were moving house. So they were moving to South Wales, which from West Yorkshire is, is like five hours drive. And I ended up spending five days in a new house and then coming to uni. And my world was sort of shattering around me almost. And I felt like God hadn't fulfilled the promises he'd given to me. Yet in the midst of this, this difficulty and the lack of seeming fulfilled promises, God was still asking me for my all. God was saying, in Edinburgh, do you give me your everything? Are you willing to give me your everything? He didn't need anything, yet he asked me for everything, and it was so hard. And this paradox this morning, we're going to explore a little bit more. But before we get to this, this story of Abraham and Isaac, there's one other thing I want to just make us aware of, which I think is really important. And it's, what do we think about God? Who do we think God is? Because actually, who we think God is is going to change how we come to this challenge of giving God everything. And there's this book that we're using to help frame um, this series of, of paradoxes, and it had a fantastic quote, which I just want to read to you. And the quote says this. It strikes at the core of our faith because it's about the very character of God. Is God loving, kind, and compassionate? Or is he cruel, insecure, and greedy? If we don't resolve this issue, 
will either become miserly towards God, refusing to give him what he demands, or miserable with God, resenting giving him what he deserves. So this morning, as we come to this paradox, this challenge to give God our everything, be aware in your own minds, where do you come to it from? What do you think of God? So Abraham and Isaac. In Genesis 22, we see um, Abraham quite a far way into his journey, into his life. So in order to understand just how challenging Genesis 22 was, we're going to skip back. And like any good story, we're going to start at the beginning. So Genesis 12. God calls Abraham and says, Hey, Abraham, leave your friends, your family, your relatives, leave your homeland, leave everything behind, and come follow me. And not only will you just come follow me, but I'll make you into a great nation. I will make you a blessing to the people, and I will bless you fully. Now, in our day and age, that might not sound like such a bad deal, right? You get to go on this journey, and God's going to make you great. But back in that day with Abraham, that was an incredibly hard thing to do. Your family meant absolutely everything to you. Your, your family, your parents, the line of people you came from, that was everything. And not only was it everything, but your descendants and where your line was going was also incredibly important. And at this time, Abraham and Sarah were also childless. So actually, God was asking them to give him their all, completely, to give up their whole lives and go, I'm going to follow you, God. So they did. In, in an amazing act of faith, they said, all right, God, we'll, we'll go for it. And they, they gave God their everything, and they trusted in this promise. And they take Lot, who is Abram's nephew, with them. And they go on this journey. And the years pass by, and there's still no children, so there's therefore still no nation, there's still no great descendants, but they're still going and they're still trusting. And it gets to a point where Lot and Abram are going to part ways. Now this must have been so hard for Abram, because the one bit of family he brought with him, they were about to leave which would have left him and his household completely on their own. In a society that says family is the most important, your relatives, your descendants, they had none of it. But at this point that must have been so, so hard, God speaks and is like, don't worry, I've got you. I reaffirm the promise. He's like, look, look at the ground, right, the dust on the ground. Can you count the dust? Well, that's how many your descendants will be. I'll give you the land, I'll make you into a great nation. Don't worry, I've got it. God reaffirms the promise, and Abraham is like, deep breaths, okay, okay, God, I give you my all, my everything again. And the years go by. And still, there is no child. It's getting hard now. The years are going on and on, and Abraham and his wife Sarah are by themselves, and there is no descendants, there's no child. The promise is still unfulfilled. We get to Genesis 15, and I think we start to get an insight into just how hard Abraham is finding this. Because this is the first time that Abraham has actually really spoken in his story to God. And the first thing he says is, he gives him a good rant. I just want to read it to us. Genesis 15, 1-6 says this. Some time later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? 
Since you've given me no children, Eliza of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Abraham is completely like frustrated. He's angry. You can hear it. He's, he's resigned himself. He's like, fine, fine, fine. One of my servants is going to be my heir. I get, I get it. I get it. You weren't going to fulfill the promise, whatever. And he's angry. But God says, Abraham, I'll protect you. And God goes on to say, the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be our heir. Uh, you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up into the sky. Can you see the stars? Can you count the stars? That's how many your descendants will be. And look at the land. I'm giving you this land. God again reaffirms the promise. Abram is struggling. He's doubting. He's afraid. But despite all of that, God goes, Abram, I've, I've got you. The promise still stands. And amazingly, we see in verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. I wonder how many deep breaths Abraham had to take that time and go, okay, God, I'm giving you my everything again. I'm trusting you again. There's still no child, but the promise stands. So the years go by again, and they're still waiting, there's still no child, and suddenly we hit Genesis 21. And I just want to read you the first two verses. They say this. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God said it would. Amazing. The child is here. The promise is fulfilled. Oh, that must have been ecstatic. Dancing, jumping around. God has fulfilled the promise. Eventually, after years and years of waiting, after years of giving your all for God, it finally happens. And we see Sarah in verses 6, 7 in chapter 21 say this. Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about me will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. Oh, man, it was so good. The promise was fulfilled. God had kept his word. God had stayed true and faithful. Wow. And Isaac is only there because of God. And I can imagine as Isaac grows up, he's like a great child and he gets along really well with everyone. And, you know, he's this sort of like, not perfect, quite, I'm sure he had his tantrums. But, you know, he was doing well. And Abraham and Sarah cherished him. They knew that despite the, the doubts, despite the troubles, the mishaps along the way, God had fulfilled that promise. And, oh, it was so great. Then we go to Genesis 22. And out of the blue, God gives this outrageous request. Verse 2 says, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, the son whom you love. We have absolutely no doubt here who God is talking about. And the next thing he says is, Go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. What? Why? When? Where? How? All of these questions filtering through Abraham's mind. But, but I don't understand. The, the child that God had promised us, that we had waited for so long, that, that came, you want me to sacrifice? Sacrifice? What? It's 
is ridiculous. This is outrageous. God is asking for absolutely everything. God needs nothing. He asks for absolutely everything. And the author, as we go through this passage, we see that various times Isaac is referred to as Abraham's son, and Isaac says, hey, father, and Abraham says, yes, son, and the author never lets us forget that this is a father-son relationship here, and that that must have been the most difficult thing that Abraham had ever had to do. Because, let's face it, if, if Isaac dies, then that promise that God had given them of descendants, of being a great nation, also dies with him. Like the stakes are high here. The stakes are incredibly high. And as we move through the passage, we see that the next few verses, there's not a lot of talking going on. And we get loads of random details. You know, we know that Abraham got up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He cut some wood. Really everyday tasks that don't necessarily add to the plot line of the story, but I think add something to how Abraham was feeling. It's almost like he had to silently go through these day-to-day tasks, which he'd done before, he'll have sacrificed before. That wasn't an abnormal thing, but this time it had that extra nuanced meaning of you're sacrificing your son. Cutting the wood didn't just mean that he was going to build a fire, but he was going to build a fire that his son was going to go on. And he was saddling the donkey ready for the journey, but he was taking his son with him who might not return. The silence in the story helps us to know just how hard this was for Abraham. What, like, what on earth must have been going on in his head? Man, it must have been torture. And there are so many commentators that have said, and I, I totally agree with them, that at the start of Abraham's journey, right at the start, when God first called him, Abraham was giving up his past. He left his country, he left his family, he left everything. Abraham gave his past to God in that moment. And now, as he's preparing to go sacrifice his son, Abraham is giving up his future as well. God needs nothing, but yet, God is asking Abraham for his past, his future, and his present moment for everything. And so Abraham and Isaac go on the journey. Abraham finds some strength, some, some morale from somewhere inside of him. He's like, okay, let's do this, let's do this. And they find themselves, they've traveled a couple of days, and they see the mountain that God has pointed out. And they're going up the mountain. They've left the servants behind. And this is, I think, the first point when we see that Abraham has, has some faith in here. It's not all lost just yet. Because he says to the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther, we'll worship there, and then we'll come right back. There's something in that that's like, we'll come back, it's going to be all right. There's like the start, the spark of hope coming. Perhaps it's not all going to be a complete disaster. And so they walk up the mountain, it's just Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac breaks the silence. And as I read it through, I can just imagine sort of what was going, what this, what this kind of matter looked like. So they're trudging up, probably a bit rocky, a bit rough, the terrain, and they've got packs on the back, so it's probably a bit heavy. So 
Isaac, you know, a clever lad, and he says, hey, hey, Dad. And Abraham walking beside him is like, yeah, son, what is it? And Isaac says, well, might have stopped, you know, pause, he slowed down, and he's walking, and he's like, well, Dad, I see we've got the wood for the offering, and, and I know we've got, like, something to kill the offering with, and, and I know we've got a fire which will light the offering, but um, where is the offering? That moment for Abraham must have felt like an absolute eternity. How do you respond? Does Abraham turn around to his son and go, by the way, son, something I hadn't quite told you, yeah, we're going to sacrifice you. Don't worry, though, don't, don't fret, you know, we'll type nice and tight so you can't squirm too much, and then you'll, you'll die really cleanly, so don't worry about it, it's fine. Um, it'll be pretty clean, and it'll be quick. <laughs> no. You're like... That's not, you can't just say that to your son. And furthermore, if you say that to your son, that's Abraham admitting defeat and going, well, that's it. The promise over God isn't who he says he is. In that moment, I believe that Abraham gives us a fantastic example of faith, but despite what's going on. Because around Abraham, they're walking up to the mountain top, and they've got the wood and they're about to sacrifice his son. But despite everything, despite his surroundings, Abraham chooses to turn around to Isaac and say, Isaac, God will provide for us. In that moment, I believe Abraham didn't just make a blind assumption of faith and go, well, God has to do something because I can't do this. No, I believe Abraham in that moment had looked back on life, looked back at when God first called him, Look back at the number of times God had recommitted and said, no, the promise still stands. And had seen how God had before fulfilled that promise by giving them Isaac. I believe he looked at that and gone, all right, God can and does fulfill promises, so he can do it again, and he will do it again. This was faith that was informed on what he already knew. And as we heard already they get to the top and they prepare the, the altar, they get the wood ready and, and Abraham is literally on the point of about to sacrifice Isaac and the angel of the Lord is like, whoa, 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 pause, please don't kill him. It's like, stop what you're doing. And God's like, Abraham, I know you would never keep anything from me. Abraham was giving God his absolute everything. And not only was Abraham giving him his, his whole like, self and his own thoughts and feelings, but he was giving God his future and the thing he loved and cherished so dearly. And God's like, look, I'm providing. Find, find a, a sheep that's, that's in the, caught in the thicket and look around and there it is. And they sacrifice the sheep and go back down the mountain. God provides. God needs nothing he asks for everything. And it's, it's at this paradox, this point, which I think really, really challenges and I know has really, really challenged me. And I think the challenge is perhaps twofold as well. When we look back on our own lives, do we see that we have promises from God that are perhaps yet unfulfilled? I, I knew for me when I first came to uni that I was like, God, you, you, you promised that I would be in a fantastic place with fantastic teachers and I would be able to study like, brilliant academics. 
At the time when I came, it felt unfulfilled, but now I look back and I'm like, oh, no, God nailed it. God did it. God fulfilled that promise. But do you have promises that are yet unfulfilled? Perhaps to do with your family, to do with your finances, to do with your friends, to do with your own, your own life. And in that, that point, that part of being sitting in that unfulfilled promise stage like Abraham, do you dare to give God your all again? Do you dare to keep trusting that promise? And I think the second challenge for us is when God has fulfilled a promise, you know, Isaac, the, the one that could only have been there because of God, when we have got a promise fulfilled, how tightly do we hold on to it? Do we grip it really tight and think, that's it, now it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, I'm going to hold it? Or are we willing to kind of open our hands and go, okay, God, I give this back to you? And for me, this challenge has hit me uh, as the last couple of weeks as I've been mun like munching, chewing, and thinking about this is my future. I'm going into fourth year at uni, which is crazy, and how did that happen, and where did the time go? But now everyone's going, so what next? Like more than ever. And my surrounding, my setting is saying, what have you done? What, what online test have you done that's going to tell you exactly what career you should go into and what work experience do you have and what internship have you got and what is on your CV and, and all these questions. It's all about what have I done. But I feel like God is starting to pull out in me this gift of this like leadership and the gift of coming alongside people and God's like, oh, I want to use that in you for your future. And so many times I have tried to like claw that control back and gone, well, I need to find like leadership opportunities and I need to do this, I need to do that. And God's like, Becky, do you trust me? Are you willing to give the gifts that I give you back? If God is, whatever it is, if God's giving you finances, an incredible home, an incredible family, whatever it is, wherever that hits you this morning, is there something God has given you that you are holding on to really tightly and are, willing, are you willing to give it back? Because I, I believe the reality is when we give things back to God, when we give God our absolute everything, he doesn't just like box it or put it on a shelf and be like, tick, that's done. No, no, God uses that. God uses that for incredible things. We see with Isaac in the story, as we go later through the Bible and through the Pentateuch, the nation of Israel emerges. What an incredible descent Abraham now has and what an incredible lineage because Abraham was willing to give God his absolute everything. God will do above and beyond what we can expect, expect or imagine when we decide to give him our absolute everything. Do we dare to give him our absolute everything? That's the challenge this morning for all of us, for me included. When God needs nothing, yet asks for everything, do we dare to trust him?